James chapter 1. We live in a day when access to the Bible has never been easier. Never. We have the Bible in print, have it on tablets, have it on computer. Many of you have it on your phone. Just if you push, punch a few buttons and bear, you got the Bible there. You can listen to it. You can have it read to you. It, you can read it on your phone. There's so many things we do. We have easy access to it. And yet in this age of technology that has made that so easy, the Bible knowledge in people's minds continues to dwindle. People know less and less about the Scriptures. because they don't spend time in the scriptures. I mentioned earlier in my notes my time of some of the books that I've been listening to, another book that is an amazingly good book and challenging. You've got to hold your shoes on because it's very challenging. But it's called Point Man. And the author, Steve Farrar, has written three versions of it, I think. The first one was many years ago, and he just did the latest revision in 21 or 22. So it's a very new revision of it. But it's a very challenging book, primarily to men, but challenging to women as well. It's to help us to see the urgency of guiding the next generation in the right path. Thus he called it Point Man. He uses the illustrations. He opens a book about the military and how certain men in the squad would be put in charge as the Point Man. He was the one that was to walk in front. He was the one that had to watch for the landmines and the, the wires across the path that would blow up in their face and, and watch for the enemy and look for all the... He was a Point Man. And he emphasizes how that... As fathers and husbands, we are the point men of our family. And we need to protect and guide them. i give you that little bit of background because I wanted to use an illustration that he gave in the book that I thought was excellent. He, <clears throat> he spoke there of two physical eating disorders. Two physical di- eating disorders. One is anorexia nervosa. And that is a, an eating disorder caused by a fear of being overweight or gaining too much weight. And the person avoids food, particularly young women, and they get skinnier and skinnier, and it can eventually take their life. I'd never heard of this, and most of the world hadn't heard of that disease until 1983. And in 1983, a very popular soft rock singer called Karen Carpenter died of anorexia. Actually, it was complications of it. She died of a heart attack resulting from the anorexia. The news of that spread all over the world rapidly. And Farrar here in his book compares that to a spiritual problem in Christians' lives of spiritual anorexia, lack of Bible intake. You don't take it in. It's not going to feed your soul, and you'll eventually starve to death. 
we need to ask ourselves some pointed questions. Does this describe you? Do you read the Bible daily? Have you ever read through the entire Bible? Could you explain the ten major doctrines of the Bible? Could you even name the ten major Bible doctrines? Would you struggle to explain the gospel to an unbeliever? Can you explain why creation is right and evolution is wrong? Do you have a uh, truly biblical worldview so that the world is not governing the decisions you make, but you're governing all your decisions based on the Bible? Do you struggle with sinful habits? Can you quote five key verses about salvation? I mean, folks, listen, that's the basics. If you know Christ your Savior and you cannot quote five good verses on salvation, you've got work to do. You can't expect to be a witness for Christ if you couldn't even do the basics. Are you living in spiritual defeat or in victory? Could you even give the, the titles of three chapters of the Bible that focus primarily on your marriage roles. Many of you are married. Now, I I don't bring these things out to scold you folks, okay? Honestly, I don't. I want you to be challenged. I want you to think, am I starving spiritually? Am I, do I really have spiritual anorexia? Am I slowly dwindling and starving to death as a Christian? If you are, then you've got to take action. Just like a person, any person that has physical anorexia, if they don't deal with it, it will kill them. They will starve to death. They've got to give victory over it. And so it is spiritually. We've got to give victory in this area, lest we starve. The other physical disorder that Farrar illustrated was bulimia. Bulimia is somewhat related to anorexia, except the bulimia is the, again, generally young women wanting to be thin, and yet they like to eat. So they'll go out and eat a whole bunch, and then they go gag themselves and vomit the food up, and they never digest it, and they get skinnier and skinnier, and they're starving to death. Not because they're not eating, but because they're not retaining it and absorbing it. And when Farrar mentioned this, I looked back over the pages of my life, and I can remember times that I had spiritual bulimia. I was doing all the right things. I was reading my Bible. I was going to church, saying my prayers. But I wasn't absorbing it, and I was starving to death. Spiritually, I was at about a 1 out of 10. And yet, on the outside, I appeared more like an 8 or 9 but I was starving to death. Many times, if we don't absorb the nutrients of the scriptures, we will not be able to apply it to our lives. We're going through the motions. People may think, oh, there's a great Christian. They're doing all the right things. They come to church. They sing. They smile. Everything's good. But on the inside, they know deep down that they're not absorbing it. And you hear a preaching sermon, and it convicts your heart. And you go home and spiritually vomit it out and you forget all about it and don't think about it. Or you read the scriptures and maybe even read it every day. 
you read it and say, yeah, that's good. Hopefully that'll help somebody. And then you forget all about it and you carry on your day. It hasn't absorbed. It hasn't helped you. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, how can we cause the scriptures to be absorbed into our souls? To help us to grow, help us to gain, so that we can grow more in 24. That's what we need. And so with these two physical and spiritual ailments in mind, we find over in the book of James, chapter 1, that James addresses these things. He doesn't call them by name, but he does address them. And I want us to notice what James prescribes here as our need to become spiritually healthy. James chapter 1, look at verse number 21. He says, Wherefore, laying, aside, laying apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Now that phrase, superfluity of naughtiness, is, it, it literally refers to a residue of wickedness. The leftover wickedness from our previous life. So he says, lay aside all filthiness and this residue of wickedness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. He says, receive the engrafted word. Now, as we look at this, first of all, I want us to notice that we, God says here, the first thing we need to do is to receive God's word. Uh, this begins with a desire. You're not going to... If you don't read the Bible every day, the reason you don't is because you just don't have a passionate desire. I mean, it's not being cruel. That's the truth. The reason we don't do anything. I mean, why is it that I don't uh, go out and do some, you know, heavy-duty exercise every day? Uh, because I'm lazy, and I, and I don't have that passion. And besides, I'm getting old. All right? But there has to be a passion before you're going to do something. The reason that someone gets good at any particular whatever they're doing is they are passionate about it. And folks, you will never read the Bible until you have a passionate desire to read the Bible and to, do, and to grow spiritually. You know, when you become weary of being an immature Christian and struggling with spiritual victory, and you begin to desire God's closeness and His direction and being prepared you desire being prepared to receive God's word. When that happens, then you'll say, I'm going to start reading the Bible. I'm going to do it. No more excuses. I'm going to start reading the Bible because I want to grow. And I, I, I want one of my goals this morning in this message is to pull within you an inspiration to say, I want to read the Bible. I want to grow. I don't want to have spiritual anorexia. I want to grow. I want to become all I want to be. I don't want to be keep, keep getting skinnier and skinnier and starving to death. I want to grow spiritually. Well, it's going to take some work. And James here commands us to lay aside all filthiness and this residue of wickedness from our former life. He says, we've got to lay that aside. There are all kinds of things that will keep us from being what God wants us to be. It will keep us from getting into the Word. If, if you have a, a passionate hunger for filthy rubbish in this world, you're not going to want to get into this book. This book's going to be kind of like, Every time I read that, it makes me feel bad. So I don't want to read that. And, you know, folks, listen, my heart goes out to those of you who work in environments where they're constantly playing the secular music. 
filled to that music. One of the things that I, 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 I can't even really describe in, in that Farrar's book that I just mentioned, one of the sections, he highlighted the things that are being taught in the schools today to the children about the, in their sex education. And I thought, I can't believe they're doing that in the schools. Now, he was in America. I'd like to think Australia is better, but I kind of doubt it. And I, I, I would be ashamed to publicly say some of the things he said in the book as he was describing what was being done in the schools. We live in a culture that is corrupt to the core. Rubbish to the core. And the devil's out there to get all of us. He's after our children, but he's also after you as an adult. He wants to keep us from the scriptures. The music is filthy. The talk is filthy. The conversations are filthy. And people aren't even ashamed of it in the least. And it's all around us. We are bombarded on every side by this corruption. If you watch television, there's filth and garbage on that all the time. Even the internet, you've got to be careful. Filter that stuff. There's filth and rubbish on it all the time. The devil's out to get us. And he's out to keep us from reading the scriptures. God's not going to zap you one of these days and take away all your desires for lustful things. I wish that happened. It would be so wonderful if, if I just got on my knees before God and said, God, I give up. Would you please take away my lustful desires? And bang, he snaps me. And I say, whew, that is so cool. Now I don't have any desire for any of that rubbish. It won't happen that way. That won't happen until we get to glory. And that means we're going to have to work at it day by day. From the youngest of us all the way up to the oldest of us. We're going to have to work at it every day. And one of the things that will help us is spending time in God's word. It progresses as we, with this decision as we give the Bible priority. How, pri- how much of a priority is the Bible in your life? Say, Pastor, I'm busy. I know, life is very busy. But how much of a priority is the Bible to you? He says here that we are to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. He said we're to receive it with meekness. The word meekness there speaks of mildness or gentleness, a gentle, mild attitude. He says receive it with meekness. And he calls it the engrafted word. Have you ever tried to graft something in nature? If you want instructions, don't come see me. I've tried many times and only succeeded once. And that one didn't succeed very well. I was trying to graft different kinds of olives on my olive tree. I don't really like my olive tree very well, so I was going to graft some good olives on it. I tried and tried and tried and tried again. I, 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 I can't do it. Some people are good at it. They just kind of slit there, slit there, and put the little thing in there, tape it all up, and it takes off. Not me. It doesn't work. But the engrafted word is 
the scriptures that are grafted into your life. Now, God wants the Word of God to be engrafted in us. He want it, you know, when we graft something into it, and when I took that little, little bud from a good olive tree and grafted it into my tree that's not a very good olive tree, what we're doing is taking something good and grafting it in where it doesn't really belong. It's not as good of a place. All right? And so it is. God says the scriptures, which are good, he wants to graft them and put them into our lives so that they can take root and grow and become all that they ought to be in our hearts. So James here says, lay aside all the filthiness and the, the residue of wickedness and receive with meekness or gentleness this engrafted word. And he says it's able to save your souls. And the word save there is an interesting word. It's a word that does refer to salvation. Of course, many times in Scripture it does. But it doesn't always refer to salvation. And in this context, he's dealing with Christians primarily. And it probably is referring to saving us from other troubles and problems and destructions in this life. He just said, lay aside all the filthy and garbage and stuff. And he says, receive the word and it'll save you. It'll, rec- it'll rescue you. If it is an unsaved person, of course, the, the, the Scriptures are where they find salvation in Christ. But there's more than that to that. It's, it can involve all of us. Life is busy. But to find time to do the things that we really want to do, we seem to always squeeze it in. You think about the hobbies you have. Nothing wrong with hobbies. But we can find time to squeeze in for the things we want to do. And God says, well, you need to take time, make time to spend time in the Word of God. And if we're going to spend time in the Bible, it's going to take discipline to determine to do that. If you say in your heart, I've got to grow. I'm starving to death. I've got spiritual anorexia. I am not growing. I've got to grow. I've got a desire to grow. Then God says, we're going to have to spend time in the Scriptures. Receive the Word. But you say, Pastor, I don't have time. What do you do if you've got to do something and you don't have time? Something has to go. You've got to get rid of something else. God's not going to give you extra days. Tomorrow you're not going to have 25 hours in your day. It's only going to be 24. And so that means somewhere along the line I'm going to have to throw some things out in order to get time to do what I need to do. It may be Facebook. It may be Twitter, it may be some other, I don't even know what all those things are, and I don't want to know about them. But I know that they take up a lot of time. Maybe YouTube. It may be just surfing the internet for things. It may be television. If you've got a television, you need to guard that thing, because there's not much on there that's going to feed your soul. But if you do, then guard your time. Don't allow your time to be gobbled up with something that's not feeding your soul. Set aside. You know, if you're going to spend a half an hour with God in the Word and in prayer, then you're going to have to find another half an hour somewhere and say, that'll have to go. I'm going to spend time with God. It also may mean you're going to have to get up a little earlier in the morning to spend time with God. Now, the morning time is not the only time you can read the Bible. But you talk to ten faithful, godly Christians, and nine of them will tell you morning time is the best time. This is because it starts the day out that way. But whatever the time of day you spend time with God, you need to spend quality time with God. 
Luke chapter 9, verse number 23, Jesus said, And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You know, that's not specifically talking about reading the Bible, but I think there's an application there. If you have been spiritually anorexic, it's time to get serious about feeding your soul. I challenge you. Please, folks, I can't make you read the Bible. I can't force you to. But I challenge you to. Don't starve yourself. Don't let yourself starve. Spend time with God every day. But then let's take a look at the second ailment, spiritual bulimia. And you must apply God's word to your heart. James, again, he continues on in verse 22. And he says, but, he says, allow the scriptures into your heart, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and he goes his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man it was. All right, so here he's saying, if you read the scriptures, you hear the scriptures, but you don't let them soak in, you don't make any application, you don't do what you heard, he says, you're just like the person that looks in the mirror in the morning and says, oh, what a mess. I haven't washed my face yet. My teeth are full of green stuff. Mm. Ah, forget it. And you walk away and you don't do anything about it. He says, that's foolish. And that's exactly what happens if we read the scriptures or hear the word preached and we walk away and we don't do anything about it to change. We're just like the person that looked in the mirror and walked away and ignored it. We haven't benefited any from it. And he goes on in verse 25 and he says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, speaking to the scriptures, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Ah, that's what we want. We want God's blessing. We're going to grow spiritually. He tells us how. So as we look at this, notice here that he says that uh, there has to be, first of all, looking into the word. Verse number 25. Whoso looketh into the perfect law. The word looketh there is an interesting word. It's the kind of word that, it's, it's not just looking across the room and saying, oh yeah, yeah, mm, yeah, I see how many people are here today. And, no, it's not that kind of a look. It's the kind of look where you get down there and you get up close to it and you take a look at it and you adjust your glasses or get them off or whatever and you look at it closely and examine it carefully and say, oh, yeah, I, I see it clearly now. I see it exactly. It is a close examination. He said, but whoever looks with that close examination of the perfect law of liberty, he said, this is where it's got to start. There's got to be a consumption. You've got to take it in. Let it into your life. It's like a close examination in a mirror. I remember as a teenager, I had a whole bunch of pimples all over my face, and I didn't like that. So every day before school, I didn't want to be embarrassed, so I'd go look in my mirror and try to fix up my mess the best I could. Every teenager, well, not everyone, some of them don't, but almost every teenager goes through that stage, you know. Got to fix up the mess before I go to school. And, the, you know, you look into there and you, and you examine carefully what you see. 
Now, just to make a little bit of an application, I chose a verse that we're familiar with, and you might want to take your bulletin and stick it in the in Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four, and I want to look at verse number thirty-two, and I'll refer to it two more times besides this one. So let's, I just I want you to take a look at it. Ephesians four thirty-two. Now we're we're putting some application here. He says we need to consume it. All right. So it says here. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. All right, so if we're going to look at that, what do we got to do? We got to look carefully at it. What did it say? It says, but, and be ye kind. What's that mean? Well, you look up the word kind, and it refers to that which is pleasant, not harsh, not bitter. All right, and so he says, be kind. And then he says, one to another. Uh, I've got to be kind to you, and you've got to be kind to me. And then he says, tenderhearted. You look up that word. Take a close look at it. What's that word mean? It means compassionate. So we need to be compassionate. And then he says, forgiving. Uh, we know what that means. Forgiving. Again, he says, one another. Uh, I've got to forgive you, and you've got to forgive me. And then the key words of the verse, the next two words. What are those next two words? Even as. Those are the key words in the verse. Those are the killers. He says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Oh, man. He didn't say, I've got to be compassionate and tenderhearted just like my wife. He didn't say, I've got to be compassionate and tenderhearted and forgiving just like my neighbor or my pastor or my friend. He said, I've got to be like God. That seems overwhelming. But that's what he said. So we've taken a good look at this. We know what it says. He says, we are to be kind one to another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven me. How did he forgive me? He washed me clean from all my sin. He, he didn't say, clean up your act, and as soon as you get yourself cleaned up, I'll, I'll forgive you. He said, you admit your guilt, and I'll forgive you. That's what he did. So, that's an important thing. So we see what it says. All right. So that's the first step. Consumption is absorbing it, looking at it. But then notice the next thing is meditation. He says we need to continue therein. All right. So you go back to James. James chapter 1, verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. Continue. What's that word mean? Well, we all know what continue means. It means keep on doing it. Remain there. Don't move. Stay there. And you ask, you know, the most important question we could all ask is, well, how long am I supposed to stay there? James tells us, what did he say? What's the next phrase say? He says, continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. How long do we continue? Until we don't forget it. Until we start doing it. So he says we're to continue until we 
keep on doing what we're supposed to do. Meditation is spiritual digestion. It's important for us to think on that. Folks, most Christians aren't very good at meditating, and I, I, I struggle with that. If there's one area in my life that I struggle with probably more than most other areas, it'd be meditation. Now, I'm not talking about sitting down with your legs crossed and your mind empty and thinking about nothing. That's not Bible meditation. Bible meditation is just the opposite. It's sitting quietly and thinking about lots of things that God said and letting them soak in and thinking about what he said and how am I going to apply this. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 1 verse 2, describing the man who doesn't do the things that he's not supposed to do, but he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. How much time do you spend thinking about what you read in the Bible? You know, if you're like me, there's many times, and I say this to my shame, Half an hour after I read my Bible, if Melody asked me, what would you read this morning? I'd say, uh, <laughs> uh, let me see. Mm, I can't remember. That might have only been a half an hour ago. It's pretty bad. My memory's not the best. It's getting worse. But we need to meditate on the scriptures. It's not going to digest unless we meditate on it. It's got to go over and over and over in our thinking and our minds. Flip back to Ephesians. Let me look at that verse and let's take some thought of meditating on this. So he says here, we're to be kind. All right. And we're to be tender hearted. We're to be forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. What significance does this verse have to me? What does that mean to me? What am I supposed to do? Well, I'm supposed to be kind. I'm supposed to be kind to other people. And I'm supposed to be tender-hearted or compassionate to other people. And I am supposed to be forgiving one another. It's my job. I can't get out of it. So God said, I'm supposed to be doing this. And I am supposed to do it even as God did to me. That's my duty. I can't say, but God, that's not fair. You're so much bigger and smarter and stronger than I am. That's not fair. How can I do what you... I didn't make up the rules. God did. And he said, I am to do all these things to other people just like God did to me. I am to treat other people in my life like God has treated me. So there's meditation on that. And you take that verse with you and you think about it throughout the day if that's the verse you're pondering. All right? You're going through the day and you think, oh, yeah, I've got to be kind. Somebody says something harsh to you. And you get ready to respond in a defensive way. And God says, oh, remember that verse? Be kind. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do, isn't it? I'm supposed to be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, just like Christ. And you meditate on it, you think about that. And as you're laying in bed going to sleep, some of you youngsters, you don't know what the, this is all about, but you, you drop your head on the pillow and ten seconds later you're... <laughs> but some of those other people, you lay there for a while and say, oh, I wish I could go to sleep. While well, I'm trying to get to sleep more three o'clock in the morning when I wake up and wish I was still sleeping... You lay there and you think about these things. Meditate on the scriptures. Let it go through your mind. Go over it and over and over in your thoughts. Ask God about it. Ask him questions about it. You'd be amazed. And this is the honest truth. Melody of Walsh for me. Many of the best sermon outlines that God has given me were in the middle of the night. 
That's the truth. I'll be thinking about the passage I'm going to be preaching, and all of a sudden, it starts clicking. And I've learned the hard way, if I don't get up and write it down, by morning, I'll remember a thing that I thought of. So I often will stagger out of bed, grab a pen, scribble down the few thoughts that I had, and then the next morning I say, wow, that was amazing. But meditate on the scriptures. It's not just for the preacher, it's for everybody. If you know Jesus is your Savior, you need to meditate. That's digestion. You're not going to soak it in. You're not, you've got to dig it apart into little pieces. What is digestion? You know, digestion is breaking it all down into little pieces so that your body can use it. That's what you've got to do. It's all part of studying the Bible. And if you, if you read the Bible, but you don't meditate on it, you're just, you're like a teenage boy. All right? When he eats. All right, no chewing, no digestion, just swallows it whole. I mean, I've been there, done that. I know, all right? But that's not good digestion. Then your poor stomach's got to chop that all up, you know? But the far better way is God made it so we got teeth to chew it up in little pieces, and then you digest it, and it ruminates in your belly, and it breaks down, and then you can use it, and it go, you get some benefit from it. The same is true spiritually. We've got to do that. Meditating on the scriptures. But then James continues. All right, back to James again. And James says, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. All right, so that's the consumption, taking it in, and continueth therein, not being a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. He's, he's a digesting it. He says, But a doer of the work. The doer of the work. That's the application part. The application. You know, that's where we're actually, our body cells are actually absorbing the nutrients. And you're soaking it in and your body's able to take it in and benefit from it. We need to consume the word. We need to meditate on the word. And we need to apply the word. If you do not apply what you receive through the preaching and through your Bible study, you are spiritually bulimic. You are reading the scriptures or hearing the scriptures and you're walking away from it, vomiting it all out, and it doesn't do you any good. You don't think about it again. It went in one ear and out the other. It's gone and it didn't help you one bit. God says that's not the way to do it. He says you need to take it in, meditate upon it, and do what he said to do. We need to do it. That's the hard part, doing it. Back there in Ephesians again. You know, how, how do we do this? Well, he says, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. How do we need to apply that to our marriage? How do you need to apply that to your relationship with your spouse? Kindness, tender-hearted, forgiving, just like God forgave you. How do we apply that to parenting? I mean, you might have perfect kids, but I didn't have perfect kids. And sometimes they irritate you. Sometimes they get under your skin. Sometimes you don't respond right to them. How are we supposed to deal with this? God says we are to be kind, pleasant, not harsh and bitter. We're to be tender-hearted, 
compassionate. We're to forgive one another. I need to forgive them, and I need to teach them how to forgive me. It it involves parenting. How does it apply then to our work relations? Some people at work that don't know the Lord, they're not very nice to work with. You might dread work just because of so-and-so that works at work with you. And every time you come across their path, they just wreck your day. God says, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, just like God forgave you. We need to make the application. Maybe it's an unreasonable neighbor. Neighbors can be unreasonable sometimes. They can get right under your skin sometimes. But when that happens, how are we supposed to react? Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, just like God forgave me. See, I've used this verse because it's such an easy to understand verse. Just to help you to see, this is how we take it in. This is how we digest it. This is how we put it into action and apply it. That's what God said we've got to do. And if we're not doing that, we are, we are living as though we've got spiritual bulimia. We're taking the scriptures. You might be putting on a great front spiritually. You might be reading the Bible, saying your prayers, coming to church, and doing all the right things, ticking all the boxes, and everybody say, oh, boy, that's a really good Christian. But if you're not making the application and letting it apply to your life, you're just vomiting it all out, and it's not helping you. There's got to be application. There's got to be absorption. Otherwise, it doesn't help us. Again, Psalm 1, verse 3 says, He shall be like the tree planted by the rivers of water. This is the fellow that is meditating on the Scriptures. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. God says we will we'll be like a tree that's got lots to drink, and it's growing abundantly and producing abundant fruit. That's what we need. That's what I want in my life. And I know that if you know the Lord is your Savior, that's what you want. But it can't happen unless we are meditating on the Word and allowing it into our life and making the application. James, did you see what he said there at the end there? He says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. That's what's going to give God's blessing. And folks, if we're going to grow more in 24, if we're going to become more of what God wants it to be, we've got to have God's blessing. I want God's blessing. And I know you do too. But in order to get it, we've got to put some effort into it. I challenge you today. Take a good look at your life. Where do you stand between you and God? If your spiritual life is not what you know God wants it to be, Very likely, James has identified the problem and the solution. Spiritual growth requires daily consumption of the Bible and a continual meditation on what you read and a personal application of what God said. You can't avoid it. That's the only way. 
If it is not your daily habit to study the Bible, folks, don't be satisfied. Don't be satisfied with that. You're starving to death. Begin your Bible study today. If you have been reading and studying the Bible and coming faithfully to the services and growing, you know, absorbing the things, make sure that it's soaking in and you're making the applications. If you don't apply what you've studied, you don't apply what you've read, it hasn't helped you any. We've got to make the application. And we need to soberly ask God to help us to change. God, help me to absorb the Scriptures. Help me to meditate on the Scriptures. Help me to apply the Scriptures to my life so that it can grow. Spiritual anorexia and spiritual bulimia, if they describe your present condition, you need to take action before you starve to death spiritually. It's serious. We've got to. There's far too many Christians in our world that are starving to death. And as a result, they make all kinds of foolish, foolish choices.